Is it? Yeah. We're live? We're live. We're live. It's the first episode of the Eric and Elzar show. Brought to you by Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. We're sponsored. We'll be reading some ads in the middle of this. Yeah. Some ads that you'll just be like, how long can I skip forward in order to get no, around? No, no, I... It's we, just we gotta it, make I'm gonna tell you it's gonna be like 15 to 20 seconds, but it's a risk if you go 20 seconds because you might miss like the great intro to something else. But if you do 15 seconds, then you might like catch the tail end. But actually, you might actually like hear where the promo code is, so then you'll be like set. Then that's true. That's true. They they might get something out of it, but at the bottom line is that everyone who listens to it gets us another dollar, which I think is the most important thing. But Elzer and I just watched. The most important thing. Eyes wide shut. Yeah. Viewers, if you don't know what that is, that's Stanley Kubrick's last movie. Yeah. Which before is, they before they came and got him. Before they got him. Before he di- before he quote unquote died. Yeah. Before he uh, didn't self end. Exactly. Before he Jeffrey Epstein himself. Exactly. Yeah. Pimp still so commit suicide. Yes. Before he, he pissed have. off and was one of the hundreds of people that were friends with the Clintons that disappeared. This, yep. Yeah, commit suicide twice in the back of the head. Exactly. These are the people. Yeah, yeah. So, Where the, the ligature marks don't just quite add but up. So, so to my, my question to you, Elazar, is... Yeah. Exactly how far do you think if there is some conspiracy... That exists within our government and others in a globalized sense. How far do you think it spreads? And I mean that insofar as like institutions go. Yeah, it's it's one of the things where it's like because I remember uh, who was it? I think it was like when I was like fifteen or sixteen. There was like Eminem came out and it was just like talking shit on the Illuminati, and then that's when I think I like. Well, I was actually, I think, like, 13, 14 is when I started, like, hearing, like, whispers about, like, some general vibe of a... Yeah, New World Order or some agency that was controlling rappers or controlling media type thing. And I thought it was interesting, but, like, just what I've noticed just from, like, powerful people who I've known or just the way that a lot of people who have influence betray themselves is a lot of them are it seemed too self-centered to really be in that large of cahoots with other people so i think that's my biggest issue with it i think it's a lot easier to like human limitation yeah i think it's a lot easier to just assume that people are working together because it's like as humans and it's like one of the things where i think like the best like atheist arguments go back to like like explaining religion is just like man just wants to find reason in things sure type of thing but to me it's also like a lot of these people are so self-interested that i think like you could like and we've talked about this before where it seems about like where capitalism turns degenerate where it's not no longer any sort of value it's just trying to like drain the last dollar out of something so i could see how there would be people who were like purely like monetarily motivated and they would work together but at the same time as soon as someone else who had like a better avenue towards like getting that dollar 
that they would flip very quickly because there's not really yeah, there's, something holding them together. Yeah, that's the idea of, like, there's no uh, honor among thieves. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think that's, like, the, the biggest, like, limitation that I have, too, is the idea that there is some, like, perfidious or, like, ominous faction that's able to control so much, but then also play along nicely with each other that I have a hard time believing in. Definitely. Because I think about it, like, you if know? you look at, if you look at, like, the left or, like, progressives, you constantly see them eating each other alive. And it's, like, humans naturally want to have a group that they feel a part of. And we are naturally, like, devoted to things. So that's where it's, I've, I've realized over the past couple months or even few years that using the term religious and saying everyone is religious is, like, too much of a broad stroke for it. Sure. Because it's, religious has been historically used to talk about people who actually follow, like, um, like a faith system. But there still is the aspect of, like, people need to try to adhere to a certain set of rules. Even if those rules are changing, and that's what, like, you see with the progressives, where it's just, like, someone who was a progressive 15 years ago versus right now, they could look, like, someone who's yeah, progressive right now, they're just they're, like, they're who they're is the, that? Who is that? They're the, they're, but, the, they're the but they're still But they're still devoted to something sure. in their head. But they're also, like... I guess in a, uh, it's not quite the same example because they're devoted to propaganda, right? Whereas like a lot of the people that we would be like uh, we would be discussing in this instance are devoted to material gains or like profits, and they're able to to some degree walk a tightrope between them and all their other adversaries who are still in the elite circle. But they're not willing to like completely fuck over but they have their like eye on the prize type of thing you know what I mean I do I be but that's also like another thing I think of that would be tough within something uh, that would represent something like a Illuminati or like cabal type of aspect is because at least within religion if you're going to um, like create a new doctrine like, and you talk about this, like, a little bit within, like, uh, like, uh, Catholicism, or, like, what is, you said, like, the second meeting, what is the one you always talk about, where it's, like, um, the church... Second council of Nicaea. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the second council is just, like, if you're going to establish something like that, because it's not purely, like, monetary, it means you have to get enough great minds together and actually, like, argue something out. But when sure. it's more material and it's you don't necessarily have values and you don't care about just ending life all it takes is a group that's just slightly more competent to all of a sudden just decimate the previous group yeah but i i agree with you i i do think that like people who are more like uh belief motivated have the uh like amount of like courage or like drive or like ambition to uh defeat a adversary group but I also do think at the same time that like the first domino that kind of falls within some sort of like elite circle or um, exclusive regime is one of like money 
and like finance. So like, basically like the biggest thing is like banks, right? If you can basically you can like control like most of the capital or most of the money, then everything that's like actually able to be influenced is just downstream of you. Now we could we could argue maybe whether or not like in terms of some Illuminati like an eyes wide shut, like how far that actually reaches, right? Like I think it'd be kind of dick, like ridiculous to think that like oh it spans the whole educational system, like the whole public education. Like, that would be kind of silly. But, if we do start with, like, banks, and then we start with, like, or, and then we progress to, like, politicians, and then other corporations as a product, I don't think it's that far out of the realm of disbelief. Yeah, I that, mean... That, like, there could be a lot of people who, like, have similar, like, a, a consensus or, like, similar goals. So there's a very interesting paper that, um, actually, um... James sent me, and it's called The Cathedral, and it's by, uh, what's his name? Curtis Yarvin. And he... Yeah, he's interesting. Yeah, he's very interesting. But, um, he basically describes how, like, the seesaw between, like, different sorts of cathedrals. And, like, the cathedral in the classical sense was, like, the church. And it was, like, homogenous in the sense that it had, like, a, a singular mission, but it was also fairly authoritarian but then what wind up happening is that it's you had the more like liberal or more open-minded people who all of a sudden were meeting together and basically realized that they could take over the authoritarian regimes which was basically dismantling like the power of the church and then dismantling like the monarchies yeah but then now like and you can see this at the academic level and is that it's a lot of these like so you have at like at the elite level when you're talking about like Ivy Leagues or like highly ranked schools and then even like the mid-tier schools like there are a decent amount of professors so it's like they know each other they know each other's scholarly work but like sure. they only know half a dozen to a dozen people but then you still have 50 other universities who are saying the same thing so it seems more that there's a reward system like and we could talk about um, like anything from like uh, like rate like um, crime crime statistics Type thing the way that sure. like that gets uh, either suppressed or like is not allowed to be talked about in a, in a certain way or yeah. they want to blame everything on just purely institutional racism where it's there's not someone specifically saying no you have to yeah. not just the no self responsibility but there's not someone specifically saying you have to do this sure. but there is that like general zeitgeist of realizing that it's if I want to be recognized or um, get any accolades or progress in this realm that exists then sure. I have to talk about it in this way so that's where it seems specifically when we're talking about um, like things like academia or the elites it seems more like because most of these people are pretty smart and they can see trends it seems more like they are like writing writing the trend with that and they're willing to let go of any sort of personal conviction because their status within this realm matters more than truth. Sure, yeah, like they're willing to sell their honesty or like sell their soul. Yeah, or to like in adherence or to, even, uh, to this, like, or even try to, to this just not necessarily circle. think outside the box because like thinking outside the box doesn't really benefit them, right? Well, yeah, like I mean, like thinking, like thinking outside of the box insofar as like 
to who it benefits, right? Like, does it benefit them? Like, yeah, sure, like, they'd be, they'd be willing to think outside of the box for that. But, like, the common people... I mean, like, this is, like, why, like, all, like the only... Uh, um, award I would give to commies or to, like, Karl Marx specifically, even though, like, basically all of his theories are, like, retarded and, like, self-destructive, is the fact that, like, how economic models have changed in the past century. Are you about to go into industrialism right now? Well, yeah, I mean, like, industri <laughs> well, not, not, only, not only industrial economies, but um, specifically finance economies. Like, I do think that part of the reason why, like, monarchy and, like, or, like, aristocracies were allowed to reign supreme and then also protect the people who they are quote-unquote representing was because they held the vast amount of capital, like, within the system that they were controlling. Yeah, no, whereas I can... Now, whereas now, like, when it's, when it's largely within the purview of massive financial instruments or, like, massive banks all of these aristocracies or monarchies are just going to fall to the wayside and become irrelevant because they actually don't have the power that's, like, necessary to, like, guide their nation. It's 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 something I, I definitely need to think about and ponder a little bit more because I do have an issue with... Um, and we've I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think that, like, everything should be, like, diluted down to money. By no, no, that's, that's, like, that's like, not where I, I was like, going. I don't think that at all. And I know that, like, that you're not saying that, but, like, but I do think that's, like, a big factor. Yeah, I think yeah. it definitely is... Because I, it seems that aristocracies do hold, like when they're acting properly and they're holding, like the title or the family who holds this position, to a certain set of standards does best. Yeah. I, but the idea of a monarchy is a like to use like Greek and even like Roman type of thing. It is kind of like gay. Where it's like you're like overly letting yourself be ruled by like one particular person that's not that's doesn't like I, yeah I just well like I, like I'll say this I like I do ironically in the in the Roman terms the idea for like the uh, Republican Romans of having a king did like emasculate all the people who like ruled under him. The Romans didn't want to be ruled by a king. They wanted to, like, elect their leader. Yeah. Because, like, to them, that like, that was a voluntary, like, admission or, like, concession of authority that they could abide by. But I think that... I, I kind of disagree with you. I, I think that, like, monarchy... Well, well, like, mo monarchy, monarchy and, like, aristocracy, I don't really think are, like, that much better in terms of rulers as, like, democracy or republicanism. I think it's mostly just a draw. I think that, like, for as often as you get a bad monarch, you'll get a bad, like, elected leader. So, like, which is to say, basically, that, like, the point isn't that you elect a good leader. The point is, is like what is retained nationally and culturally within the nation that is, like, being 
uh, like that is under that like format of government. Whereas well, I think like aristocracy or like monarchy, like they're like they're able to retain the national character. Well, that's and, why I want to. Se- I'd like to separate the idea of a monarchy from a aristocracy because I think like I think monarchy kind of poisons the aristocracy. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that you could have one without the other. I mean, if you're going to have, like, a god-ordained ruler, um, well, that's presumably, presumably, if you have a king, he's going to hold court, and there's going to be, like, favored peoples and, like, unfavored peoples, and, like, in that court resides the aristocracy. I don't think that you can have that, like, you can have a king or, like, a queen, a monarch, outside of an aristocracy. But that's what I'm saying is I don't there shouldn't be a monarchy but there could still be an aristocracy without a king. You're like you're saying there can't be a king without an aristocracy. I'm saying how about no king and just keeping the aristocracy, just keeping the wise elders, keeping sages, keeping families that have proven their value over sure, time yeah, and they have to keep a... and they have to keep proving their value in order to maintain that status. Yeah, there's, and there's then, a... And then it's not one reign supreme. There might be one that has, like, more influence and power because it's... They've done a good job or they've done a well job and they continually they do so. Well job, yes, but otherwise, but otherwise, it's like, if they mess up in one generation, they could go from being the most influential, like, aristocrat to being the least influential or their name could literally just be, like... No, you're no longer part of this because you no longer have the interest of this nation. Like, so I think, and that's part of the issue with the monarchy is because it's a monarchy basically has to be set going back all the way de- back to like Gilgamesh type shit, where it's like once it's you have a king, you have to even you look at like Egyptian or you go all the way back that far. It seems that the king has, in order for there to be a king, they have to have this like intimate relationship with a god yeah of course yeah so So, i i think that like it's kind of like a common misconception there's a lot of monarchies or like royal dynasties that don't necessarily extend thousands of years into the past however uh like within the uh like for example within france or england like england specifically like you have the like you know, House of Stewarts, you have the, um, you know, uh, like the Plantagenets, uh, you have, like, different royal houses, the Windsors, right, which is, like, I think the current one. Like, there is an interchange between dynastic families within a monarchy, and, like, you're right, a lot of that is contingent on claim, like, who has the rightful claim to this to this throne. Yeah, where it turns, like, autistically but, about, like, a line more than it does necessarily merit. Well, a pe- like, a pedigree. I mean, like... Yeah, a pedigree. Specifically, a pedigree. like, within, like, like... The the English are kind of, like, a bad example to use just because they gave up... Like, they really gave up their... Uh, Back with The John. effectiveness of their monarchy. Yeah, the Magna Carta. Yeah, with, like, the, the Glorious Revolution and, like, the English Civil War. Yeah. Like... After that point in the 1600s, they had a king still. However, that king was relegated to, like, more of a figurehead position rather than actually affecting politics because the parliament reigned supreme. Yeah. Whereas, let's say with, like, France, 
Like, yeah, France, you had, like, uh, the Capet, like, dynasties. You have, like, the Merovingians. You have the, like, at the very beginning, like, the Carolingians and all this stuff. But the monarch did, like, reign supreme, like, over his, uh, like, over his state, over his nation. And I think both of us would kind of agree that a nation does need to be founded by God. You know, and, and if we're going to both agree on that, then the next logical step would have, like, would be the head of state reflecting that principle or, like, that ideal. I think, I think a nation as a whole needs to believe in a similar ethos. I don't necessarily think that it has to be by believing in the same God, per se. Because I, I think that's, that's where it winds up being my issue with something like a monarchy, again, is that it's like, it requires believing that this person has that, like, like infallible aspect to them. And no, and no, yeah, and not, no leader of state is ever infallible. But they're not. But they're not in, in control of the church, which is an important distinction within monarchies, right? Like, the monarch is responsible for all the administrative and like governmental or like state responsible uh, decisions, but like within the singular exception, let's say, of the English, right? Because the English not only have like a monarchy, but they also have their own separate church. That was like, you know, King Henry VIII, like all this type of shit, the Anglican Church. Like, ideally, earthly powers are decided by the monarch, but religious powers, he doesn't have any control over. That's a religious, like, official or like a religious title that resides completely within them. And it it creates a balance of power. It, it does create like a... A balance, but it's not like an actual like check and balance. It's because one can, a king can all of a sudden say, "I don't like this church, and I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna kick him out." Not, well, or the, or the church can say, "Hey, we don't like this king, so let's unite these few kingdoms that we have influence over to like destroy him." So now, well, like now, now they can. I mean, like not now, but like a few hundred years ago. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, like my, my point is just that, like. What you're describing definitely did happen in history, but it also happened, you know, more than a thousand years, like, after, like, after a thousand years of a, or even more, of a largely stable relationship. Yeah, you did have uh, monarchs who set up their own church, like as I just described with, you know, King Henry VIII. That was still in, like, the... 15, 1600s. You know, he's actually a decent, uh, or not a decent, a uh, distant relative of my last name. Yeah, I have... Of yours? Yeah. I have a, like, autistic, like, second cousin once removed from the, like, up high, like, higher. Like, one of my dad's cousins who, like, went and did, like, a whole family tree thing and found that we're, like, we have... That you're vaguely related to King Henry VIII? Yeah. I think it was, like... It was like this, like it was Henry the Seventh or something like that, 
that we were uh, that we have were like a descendant of like his brother or something. Like well, that. that's that's the name of the fucking podcast. Yeah, what is we was we was kings and we was because you because yeah. not only what like you was kings but I was kings too. Yeah, and so it's the perfect balance. No, but like there's a like I do think that like like you just said you know oh well what's stopping a monarch from uh assuming like ultimate power like within the church and also the state that happened with the English pretty early on they were kind of able to reconcile it and like stabilize it for a while but then the other example is um with the French Napoleon like Napoleon tried to like straight up bully the Pope in you know post-revolutionary France yeah and this is the 18 teens or early yeah 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 like the early 1800s yeah and like he tried to like essentially bully the the Pope into like making him a bishop and uh like revoking a lot of uh different bishoprics essentially trying to like uh centralize power within the state of France and the Pope like the Pope told him to like fuck off and was even held, like, captive for, like, a pretty significant amount of time. Yeah, he was locked up. Yeah. But, I mean, to me, that still goes back to by having it as a, like, central person who holds a pedigree based off of that. It's... It winds up being too... too centralized. Because that's, at least the way I see it is that it's the leader of a nation should be someone who it's not necessarily democratic in the sense of like everyone gets to vote, but like the influential families, the aristocrats should be able to should be able to like you could you could argue on how often that like election or decision happens, but it should be like something that's interchangeable and then like it's held to because I mean like even here in the United States and there is a decent amount of um, like proper uh, what's the word criticism of it but like every family who's been a president type of thing it's like they're like pseudo like royalty in this country type of thing and I think that is a like a correct way to think about it where it's like once you've once you've held that position then your family should be like a certain amount of set but then also, as long like, as they keep like keep up their shit, yeah, like, yes. yeah, they should retain their power. Yeah, but also it shouldn't be something that's, oh, like the only people who could claim this position is because I can claim my great great uncle was this guy, and we've kept our line pretty pure, and therefore I have the most true claim, and I'm going to unite this army to take this thing over. Yeah, I mean, like, like yeah, like I I, I agree with you, but that that's. What you're describing, like, very rarely, even within, like, strict monarchical governments, actually plays its, like, its way out in history. Like, you can have people in multiple instances, like, who have the best claim, like, like, her, through, uh, like, means of, you know, hereditary relation. The best claim to the throne. But also what wins it over is gumption and like cunning and like being able to like outmaneuver your opponents you know 
And so, like, I think that, like, the reason why the monarchy is important is I wouldn't say the overriding uh, variable or, like, the overriding faction, or a uh, factor, rather, like, is your pedigree to being the, like, most legitimate claimant of the throne. It's a part of it. Which I think is really... It's not significant, like I said. I think that, like, through a lot of, uh, like, intercession wars or, like, civil wars between countries, like, when they're trying to, like, choose the proper king, really what's most important is, like, the logistic or, like, the strategic aspect of it. But... Yeah, but then that's there just is, more politics than it is about necessarily... Yeah, but there is but there is still an element of, like, being a proper claimant to the throne that actually can't... Even though it's, like I said, relatively insignificant, it can't be completely ignored. Which is completely different than the idea of any sort of swashbuckling, like, charismatic... Uh, man who can like climb his way all to the top like an Andrew Jackson and I like Andrew Jackson so I'm kind of talking shit right now but like comparatively Andrew Jackson was like a rags to riches like he came from absolutely nothing he he held no like noble title or like crown or whatever or like any sort of pedigree but that so that so that is so so there is also the the crit- the criticism that you have, and I think a lot of other people have, where there is the issue of the way that it is right now, is that it's too easy to be, for lack of a better term, rags to riches, be like charismatic, and just hit like the lottery, or like roll a few natural 20s, and just get there like, without having like any other backgrounds behind it. Sure. But I think that that is something that's important to as an act of like aspiration for for people. Because it's like if cause it's if you can do that, like and you could do it properly and you have the decorum, you have the manners, you have the proper way of doing that, then that's how you create like a proper ethos and mythos within within your people where it's if you if you do things right within a generation or two your family can have a seat at the table yeah but like and I agree with you there should be like social mobility and there should be people who can aspire to like a courtly relationship with like the administration and then achieve it the biggest difference between like I feel like what you and I are talking about is where you think that it might like it's best achieved within one or two generations I think it's best achieved within three or four I mean so that's where it's and I can like, and I like, can and like that, that. Like, like that's the thing is just like like the only way to actually ensure that the people who are reaching this high echelon of society are like worthy of being there isn't necessarily that they're able to like uh like achieve the certain like financial prowess or like being very ostentatious, but also that they've, like, dwelled within it long enough that they understand it's that national, like, ethos, that, like, that noble obligation 
that makes them fitting to sit within that circle. Yeah. So and if it, if it can happen within one generation, if and if no one cares about it, then really all that we're talking about is whoever has the most power at the end of the day should be able to call the shots. You know. Yet also, I don't think it should be like an like an Indian caste system where it's like, yeah, if you reside within this caste, it's, it's impossible for you to like move up. Yeah. You know, that's ridiculous. So, I mean, so I think the, the caveat that I would then add, which I guess I need to then explain, like, what my idea of, a, like, the civitas, which is a person... Which is a person who belongs to his community and society, but is also making the self-sacrifice of being married, owning land, and having at least three children. So that is the person, like no other person should be able to vote other than someone who's actually paying that forward. But then I would, because based off like what you're saying, and I do agree that there, like, there should be the, the aspect of, okay, let's say someone comes from a complete, like, like, unfortunate situation where let's say yeah. they, they come from a... But they, they're, like, they're, they're a genius. Yeah, let's say, like, they just come from... They only have their mom, their dad was a deadbeat, and go into like whatever those dynamics are. Sure. But it's like, okay, they're studious, they get their life together, they realize, hey, I want to make sure my family's better than how I was raised. So then sure. they have a family, so then it's okay, now they should be able to vote. But then, like what like what you're adding, and what I agree with, is that it's that person shouldn't necessarily all of a sudden be able to be like the leader. So then, but the leader should maybe yeah. be like a third generation civitas. Or a person who like a third generation of the civitas, where it's like, oh, my dad, like yeah, was was part of this body, his dad, and then I am part of that, and I could trace and I could show that they had this. If you're this, talking about like a civitas, like insofar as how it relates to America, which is like a republic, yeah, yeah, like I think that if America was done right, quote unquote, then the only like voting populace. Uh, that would be like currently existing would be like extremely exclusive insofar as how it relates to like today like with like universal suffrage like I think that's like ridiculous and that's basically just to say that it's not necessarily that like the person who participates within all these like activities or like social circles belongs to a certain community the distinction is that they take responsibility yeah. for that community. Uh, like they are personally responsible for the body politic. Yeah. You know, and, and they're per like, and what the most basic form of your own body politic is taking care of your family. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, the family is the, is the smallest nucleus, like, yeah, nucleus level of analysis that still retains all the major features of a nation. Um, and I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that, like, if we're talking about, like, suffrage or, like, voting, uh, it should be largely, like, held within a familial basis and not an individual basis because individuals uh, bear no relevance or uh, similarity to the state yeah, or the nation that they are, that they belong to. Being an individual is literally just being anything that could mean whatever but being a part of a family 
means that like what is a family a family is a fa like is a group of people who share a common custom they share a common language they share a common history and they also like share a common living space between each other all these like four things also resemble sharing a nation together with different like a bunch of different families individuals hardly lack any sort of consistent identification with each other that would like consistently resemble what I describe as you know like as being a family yeah you know and I'm an American through and through listen on this podcast there ain't no sympathies towards a monarchy I do not I would not have wanted George Washington to be the fucking king of the United States I'm a patriot through and through even though foreign wars are gay but that's besides the point yeah I, mean, I think I think that like as an American I Republicanism, love America as, as, a, as an American Republicanism like reigns supreme and if we're gonna have a voting populace then it should be restricted for our, like our own good um and that also means for all the women listening uh sorry um, don't apologize. Sar, sar, don't no, apologize. no, no, because, you know, because it's tough. It's tough in this modern climate to be able to absorb the fact that you're just not a an effective, conscious voting block. Yeah. Bro, I was reading something today that made me laugh was... Uh, what? So there's this guy. Was it, was it in Qatar? No, it was... I can't remember where it was. But this guy basically just went like full like what is it called the um like the muslim headdress where it's just like you cover everything but the eyes a burqa yeah basically this guy went like full burqa i got okay well, guys don't wear burqas. listen 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 what? so he enlisted in the like the female chess and like went oh, all the so way tough. went all the way through and like BTFO'd all these chicks, but he was like the entire time was like just covered head to toe and yeah, dressed like was, a woman. He was in he was Splinter Cell covert. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, playing like dark agent type thing. And then it was like found out like, oh, he's a dude type thing. Where it's just like, okay, so it's That's oh, over com over completely the same, but it's like, okay, so when it comes to something even like so we can talk about, of course, there's the physical differences, and that's why we have gendered sports. But it's even like, chess is not physical at all, but we still know that men and women well, need to have like yeah, different yeah, categories just because of... Would you, would you, would you take up that deal but to yeah. basically like dress up as a woman? On some like man <laughs> Just like just to dunk on every single woman you come across in chess if you know that you're like 200 points like rated higher than them no it's it's it reminds me of one of my no uh, no no but you you would never get caught no it's because it's because i don't because I, I could do that without having to dress up based no, yeah. it's just like <laughs> yeah but you wouldn't be on the world stage is my point no i mean i no, i'm fucking with you like yeah obviously that would be beneath your dignity but also that's fucking hilarious yeah it is that it that is. guy like had to go through like that uh like those lengths to like what country did it, like what, what country was it do you remember i can't remember i'd have to look at my phone it's probably something like retarded yeah 
might have yeah, been, is... been somewhere in Hungary. I don't know. It was chess is gay it starts now. Something with, it starts something with a K. But I, yeah, chess I'm, is I'm gay now. It's, it, it's, it's really sad. Because, like, now all chess is is, like, memorization. Whereas, like, before it used to be, like, a lot of, like, instinct and, like, talent. Bobby Fischer said it best. Where, like, he was the most prolific chess player in the United States and he also was actively trying to reformat, uh, like, the opening chess, like, set to, like, make it more different and make it more, like, variable because you have all these people who are just basically memorizing certain openings and mid-games. Yeah. And it takes all the, like, love and, like, beauty out of it. Yeah. No, that was, that was one of the things that, uh, like, disenchanted me from chess when I was in, like, I think I was in third grade. So between, like, second and fifth grade, my parents had a restaurant and it, I mean, it was tough on their marriage and it was tough on us as well because my dad was working, like, full day and then he would come and then work in the restaurant until like 11 like 10 or 11 p.m and my mom would run it during the day but it's also like there's five of us and they're also trying to have more kids but um sure. there was so i think there's a point when um i think over the summers i'd go to the restaurant and then i'd basically just be a bus boy and then i would just hang around and then that's when i like i used to od on like coca-cola because it was what's it called we had uh, a soda we had a soda gun yeah. And I was like, I just Dude, fill it up. Yeah, over. so yeah, so there was like three months where I was like, I was having like seven or eight glasses of Coke a day. Dude. And then after that, I was just like, I got sick of it. Like to this day, like I can maybe have like a couple ounces, but to me, it's just like, as soon as after that, it's like, it brings back. But anyways, there was this one server and it was funny because um, at any one point, we usually had maybe half a dozen to a dozen servers. Because I mean, the restaurant was usually open from like 10.30 a.m. until like 10 p.m. Like... Sunday through Thursday, and then different hours on like Friday and Saturday, but um, but usually there's at least one or two server, or at least a few servers, or or what do you call a female server again? Waitress. Yeah, there's Waitress, like yeah. yeah, there's um that were like also like aspiring actors or actresses, and so, um, so there's this one guy who he was also he he was trying to get into the acting scene but he was doing serving as uh, a side job which was fairly common at the time this is yeah. like what this is like 2000 this is like 2005 2004 2005 don't 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 age yourself yeah but anyways you have um, to edit that part out okay but um this guy he was playing chess and I saw sure. that he, he like he'd like to play chess, so I'd play against him sometime. Of course, he'd like whoop my ass, or he'd be like nice and just like let me like uh, what's it called, like take take certain uh, take certain pieces. Sure. But I noticed also he had like a book, and then he was basically just telling me that it's like yeah, like most of chess has already been played, so now I'm just like working on memorizing certain certain moves. Sure. So yeah, so for me that was when I was like oh, so it's like. It's no longer just like being in it anymore. It's like you're thinking about like, what did this guy do? And I remember this from page fifty-two of when you're, that one book that I read. And it's just not like, only do you uh, remember that, but like once you start playing chess, like against someone who is thinking like three moves ahead or like four moves ahead, yeah. And you're like an intermediate player. Like it's not fun anymore. It's like fucked. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that like it still can't be, like, an entertaining game. But just because of, like, statistical analysis, it's just, uh, like, not the same. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is I've played against a decent a decent amount of, like, 
pretty good people who have who are like like moderately ranked. And one of the things that I always notice is even though most of the time they would kick my ass, is that I always put them in like weird positions. They'd be like, yeah, I've never seen someone do shit like that. And it was just like, yeah, it's just intuitively, it just seemed like that's what I should do. Yeah. Type thing. But, um, but yeah, it was just, so once, I mean, that's what's one of the funny things. It's like, I remember just having these random conversations with people and just realizing like, that's like, that doesn't seem like, I mean, maybe also it was like, I'm a kid. And it's like, that doesn't seem like it's fun if it's all about the, that, like that strategy. Yeah. But as I get older, I'm more of a backgammon head. Backgammon is like the best because it's literally like 15 minutes at the longest of a playtime. And it's nah, a good... it's more like 30, 35 minutes. No. No, if you're if you're like if you know how to play backgammon, you're oh, like, okay. and you're, My and you're bad. playing semi pro and you're playing No, 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 but like like but if you're like I'm saying like if you if you know all the like the like moves like with the tiles yeah. insofar as how it relates to the dice, and you you don't have to count. You just know that, like, oh, four means this, yeah. or like six means that. Like, the game ends pretty quickly, Fair but enough. it's a good it's a good combination of like luck and strategy that is entertaining to play, and it doesn't solely revolve around pure skill, um, which can be fun. Like, I like chess a lot still, yeah. But it's a it's like an intermediary between pure skill, which is chess and pure luck which is like cards or like yeah. different card games well that's where I think um, even though it's considered to be I guess vaguely like a hood game the game that I really like is uh, Domino's Domino's yeah because it's, yeah, it's, it's like there's play Domino's bro yeah I, I got I got a set in there that yeah we should play because I remember uh, on vacation was it last year or two years ago with my like uh, younger brother and younger sister I taught them how to play and I was like it was, at first it was like my brother caught on to it pretty fast and then my sister would just get frustrated, but after like a few games, she like she caught onto it, and then that's mm-hmm. when we'd start like actually having like fun games, because sure. it's like because it requires a decent amount of a What's, decent amount of how like, do you win in dominoes? Well, it's so you have technically there's seven there's seven numbers, and it's like double sided, so it's like sure. it goes blank one two three four five six, uh-huh. and it's um, you're trying to score in numerical numbers of uh like 10 or above and it's so you put down like a centerpiece and then like the first double so it's like like six six five five whatever so, it is so like, like a, put like a five two down like domino so um then you would put down like a like a five connecting to it yeah because you're like oh like this is the same yeah so it's so what winds up being is it's like so it's, i'll just start from like the beginning of the game is you like you put down like the, what you call uh, Big Bertha, which is sure. basically like the 6-6. Six, six. So that's like when you first start, whoever has that, you put that down, right? If the person right after you has 6-3, um, then they score 15 because the 12 from that is still open, and then you have the 3 on the end where you connected the 6. But if someone all of a sudden puts down after that, like the, um, the 6 blank, then they close off that 12. But because it's the first double... It's considered to be the spinner, and then you could still that play off. Fucked. You could still play off the sides. I'm already confused. This is crazy. How do black people like, <laughs> like, keep up with this like so purely? Because like I'm like I'm lost. I think I'm retarded. Yeah, bro. We um, have to play. We have to play some dominoes. Yeah, it's yeah. The, it's no, it's not what, that complex. You know, what the, you know what the craziest like crusty ass like 
boomer, but like also, uh, like, like the like closest. Crabs? No, bridge. Bridge, yeah, yeah. Brit, dude. Bridge is like my grandma loves to play bridge. Bro, like fuck yeah. She, old she, heads, old heads love bridge. When she, when my when my dad was a kid, she used to have like a group meeting with like other moms and other people in the community, and they would like once or twice a week would get together and like you know like seven to ten ladies or something like that. Yeah, like, sit down and like play bridge for like several hours. Yeah, because there's like an equal part of like mystery, mm. and then also like uh, like skill. Dude, like fate, like Eisenhower and like Patton used to have like bridge games. That's hilarious. Like it's yeah. Like it, it is the most the the reason why like I feel like a lot of like uh like military like heads or like older people like like that game is because it is like a really perfect balance of uh like the fog of war. Like you don't know what the other person has. Yeah. But then also you have to like as George Bush would say, strategize. Yeah. And like plan out your moves and stuff. Yeah. No, I think which so is like the closest it's it's like the closest like that you can get to like in a fifty two card game as like us playing eight hour like fucking board games like Twilight Imperium or like Rome like the Republic. But it's with like the least amount of materials necessary to do it. Yeah, no, you know I mean, I mean, so that's why it's, I think that's why uh, playing uh, dominoes with my siblings was so fun, is because most people who I'd play with, I'd played with before, like, I was able to basically BTFO them just because it's, if you're, if you know how to count pieces, which is like what you're supposed to be doing, you could sure. basically figure out, like, you don't want, you don't, you don't want to be waiting for something that's not going to come. It's not just not waiting for something to come, but it's also like you could put down a piece and know that no one else can score after you. Sure. Right? Or it's if you, like, somehow get, like, five or six of the same piece, like, you could try to lock people out. Yeah. Type of thing where it's like, oh, you can't, like, no one else can play right now, and then, like, you score off of them still having stuff in their hands. Oh, so you can, like, lock people out kind of, like, in backgammon? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's just, like, so, like, um... So let's say um, there's let's say there's four avenues right that that's out and every single one of them is a five, but you have the last three fives in your hand, and it's just like you know no one else could play anything, mm. right? So so there is also how like, many dominoes are in a set? Like the total board? Well, like like the total like the total amount of dominoes that you play in a game. There's twenty eight total. So like like each player starts with like four. Or it something? depends. No, it depends on how many people there are. Like if there's sure. okay. if there's um if it's just two people, you usually start with like nine. If there's three people, it's usually still nine. Then when it's um four people, then that's when you go seven. And that's where it becomes very. That's interesting. when you like double up the dominoes. Um, what do you mean double up? I mean like uh like in the same uh like idea of, let's say if you're playing like from my perspective like a gin rummy. Yeah. Like once. You could play with one deck with three people, but once you hit four people, you play with two decks. No, no, you don't. So that's oh, where it's like. That's where it's like you know. So that's the thing is like when there's when there's less people, there's like if you can't play, then you have to go to the boneyard and you have to pick up a new piece. But then that means the first person to like domino, which means get everything out of their hand. If you have like higher scoring pieces, which is like the amount of numbers on the domino, then they get the points from you so like one of the biggest strategies is trying to get all of your pieces out but if you can't then it's um 
sometimes either trying to lock people out or just making sure you have the least amount of points. Yeah. And then you're trying to use your hand the best you can to like either stop the person who started the round from continuing to start the round because there's like a supreme advantage in that, especially once you get past the first round. But um, but yeah, like but anyways, it's yeah no it's it's very it's very interesting. But yeah no that was that was the way I used to make like snack money was like running people for dominoes. Dude. Yeah, and then dominoes. The other one that's like classic is uh. Shooting ice. Shooting ice, yeah. Dude. But that was like the base scene in the fucking, what was that, the, was it the third season of The Wire? Yeah, Where he's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, the teacher, what's his name? What was that, what was that guy's name? Pres Paluski. Yeah, Pres Paluski, yeah. Pres Paluski basically Prez, being like, hey, bro. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make math fun for y'all. So, yeah. cause you like, guys like to run dice, I'm gonna teach you the statistics on what you should be betting on. Yeah. Type thing, yeah. Yeah, like, that's it, like, yeah, dude, no, Pres, like, Prez, like, figured it out by the end of that season. Mm-hmm. I think it was, like, yeah, it was, a, like, season, like, three or four. Like, when he realized he, like, needed to, like, adapt his teaching style just, like, to what, like, all these kids are interested in. Yeah. And then they understood, like, fractions and, like, percentages, like, perfectly. Yeah. Which is, like, pretty wild. Yeah. The other game that we need to play, because uh, I feel like, uh, We've played, like, retardedly long games that take, like, five or six days to play. And we've also played games that, like, take, like, multiple hours, but, like, you can still resolve it within one night. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should play, um, the James Axis and Allies. Axis and Allies, okay. Which is, like... A, is, it a board, like is it a board game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, it's basically, like, think of, like, Risk, mm-hmm. but, like... Bro, I haven't played Risk in so... I used, to, I used to be pretty good at it in, like, elementary school, but I haven't played it since then. Risk is tough, bro. Yeah. There's been, like, a bunch of times, like, when I was playing Risk, and, like, you just have, like, the perfect odds, and you just get, like, fucking annihilated by the dice, Mm -hmm. even if, like, you're the attacker with, like, a two-to-one advantage, and it's just, like, gay as fuck. But Axis Nalice is basically, like, Risk, but instead of every single, like, it's, like, a one-to-one token trade-off, like, there's, uh, like, artillery and planes and infantry and tanks that all have their like like different hit points and attack value and cost mm-hmm. like when you're playing and HP I assume yeah like, yeah like HP points. and shit like that like and there's different uh, like eras of, like uh, they've like made the game in where it's like oh it's Axis and Allies like 1941 or like 1942 um but the cool part about it is that like basically like the five major uh, team like uh, factions in it is the Axis, obviously, which is Germany and Japan, and then the Allies, which is uh, Britain, the Soviet Union, and uh, the USA. But it doesn't really matter too much, like how many players you have. There's obviously a cutoff, but like you could play like two v two. Or like 3v3 because since it's already an assumption that all the allies are working together like it's moves like within a like specific like turn order mm-hmm. where it's like it's an axis player's turn now it's an allies player's turn now it's an axis player's turn now it's so on and so forth um but those games like usually last like within, like, five or six hours, 
gotcha. as long as like you're not fucking around. Yeah. And like that reminded me of a game I used to play as a kid. Did you ever play Stratego? Fuck yeah, I played Stratego. <laughs> I got I got I got fucked up playing Stratego. Really? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, that that was a fun one. Until we started losing pieces. But yeah. Do Stratego fucking um. The ones I would play like a lot when I was young was uh. Clue. And uh, life. Yeah. No, life was interesting. Yeah, we used to Monopoly, play Monopoly. I would only play with my friends. My yeah. family wouldn't want to play Monopoly. Yeah. My mom, my mom played like Monopoly with her family when she was growing up, and it would like it like scarred her. Yeah. Because it was just like cutthroat. Yeah. Last time I played Clue was actually over COVID, and it was fun because I that like, rocks. yeah I uh, yeah I figured it out pretty fast. Well, what you guessed that you won. Yeah. That's based. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, was... Colonel Mustard. Yeah, it was in yeah. in the conservatory with the candlestick. Yeah. Bro. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, no, board games are board games are fine. Yeah, I think it's it's board games to me kind of um, in a similar vein, but not quite rival, um, but very similar to like sports, in a sense, because it does it does teach you how to like cooperate and deal and learn and lead or like all of those type of things with other people within a certain social within a certain social setting. It forces you to like understand people. Yeah. Which is really hard to do if like if you come from like a strictly like sports background. Mm-hmm. Did you just pause it? No, I was just oh, yeah. the screen um, sometimes. Yeah. Which is like in sports, uh, like obviously it's like a collaborative effort. Like, you have to, like, resonate and kind of, like, vibe with your teammates when you're working on a play. But with board games, especially when you, like, get into, like, the higher tier, like, difficulty, like, sophistication, mm-hmm. you really have to understand, like, someone else's motivations and, like, contextualize that within your own gameplay and never burn any bridges. Yeah. Which is, like, really hard to do. Which is, like, hilarious how Sean, like, won Monopoly, like, the first, like, few times that we played. Where he just got, like, dumb lucky. But every, every sort of, like, deal that he was trying to make, he was just like, make this deal with me or you're gonna get fucked. Yeah. And it's like, bro, like... Yeah, I'm gonna give like, you one like, thing and you're gonna give me three things, otherwise, like, like, fuck you. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, dude, if you don't do this... This guy's gonna ruin you. Yeah. It's like, dude, that's not like. How is that even remotely per, like persuasive? Yeah. But like, when you play those games, all it requires you to do is hold your tongue, reveal very little information, and always be open to relationships. Yeah. Which is something that like the purely athletic mind is like not very familiar with. I think, like, board games... Board games are, like... This is, like, a thought I've had. Board games... Specifically in how, like, they relate to, like, certain periods. Like... Further down the road of, like, autism you go... Are, like, the best educational trainers. Because not only do they teach you about the period that you're studying... Mm -hmm. But they also like also teach you how to work collaboratively cooperatively or 
adversarially. Yeah. Which is like killing two birds with one stone. And I think that like that's like it's not something that like would ever be able to be employed within like the modern education system because there's like fucking like 35 kids to a classroom. It just doesn't make any sense. But if like let's say you have like a tutor like and the tutor was teaching five kids. Like that could completely work. I mean, what what that made me think of is like imagine uh, like a school where part of recess time was like playing a game, like playing a board game. Like it was like you know like half of your recess time was like dedicated to like continually playing this like one game, or like or like it starts out with like cards or something like that. It could, and then, yeah. And then it like progresses. But like uh, I, I would I wouldn't make that part of the recess like recess time just be as like kids like need to get their get their yayas out. Yeah. But I would make that as like a significant portion of the like curriculum. Yeah. I mean it could be I, I then maybe it's like ancillary or corollary to like a like it's not strictly in the sense of like education in which it's like you're giving over information, but it is that like there is the collaborative and like playing with each other aspect. So it's not the same as like, oh yeah, you in order for kids to sit down straight, like they do need to run around, like jump on the jump, uh, like in the jungle gym and all that stuff. Hang on the monkey bars and just like use some of that energy because it's like I would I would introduce I would yeah. introduce like that like like a introduction like or like expose into like board games uh, at around like basically like uh, middle school to like high school if not high school. Um, just because kids are too big of spazzes. They can, they can handle, like, simple board games. They can handle, like, rudimentary ones. But, like, when you get to the higher level... Um, yeah, I guess I, I can I agree. Would, I, would, I would say that, like... I, don't, I learned, the, like, Uno... I mean, Uno's a great one. Like, yeah, I played a lot of Uno as a kid. Uno, yeah, but, like, Uno's... Yeah, like, Uno, Uno's good for, like, kids. Absolutely. Yeah. But, like, let's say, like, the ultimate one... That like if you're a teen or like you're in high school, that actually like teaches you a lot. Um, but it's very simple. Is uh, diplomacy. Diplomacy is basically like World War One, and there's seven players, and each player is a like a major power, and basically every single player is at parity with each other uh, at the beginning, insofar as like pieces go. Or like force, yeah. It forces you to be able to like create diplomatic like ends to your moves in order to win the game. And the cool thing about diplomacy too is, is that like it's not turn based. The way that diplomacy works is literally there's a twenty like each round is a twenty minute like our you, you can make it whatever length you want, but usually like. 15 to 20 minutes where every single player on the board talks to each other and just hashes stuff out. And then at the end of that time period, then there's, you know, a few minutes to everyone writes their orders down for like what their units are going to do. And they all turn it in and then it's read all at the same time. Yeah. Right. So it's like you can have do you have to de you de do you have to designate someone as the like m like moderator the narrator, or, like, narrator maybe type thing? Or, yeah, I mean you could like 
it, it like that person can still play. Oh, okay. You know, uh, like the funny thing about like diplomacy, like is that when you have that like narrator, uh, or if it, like you have people who are like LARPing, right? Like let's say like I'm playing Great Britain, and I'm writing my orders down, and I'm writing it in the fashion of like a newscast, you know, where it's like today in like out like the Royal Al- Albert Hall. Like, there was a blah, 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 and, like, you know, we were, like, indignantly insulted by, like, the German Empire, and, you know, like, it get it, it's fun. Like, it gets to be, like, humorous. Yeah. Because, like, you have people, like, playing into, like, their characters. But, you know, yeah, like, that's, like, that's a very, um, like, strictly persuasive game that like can teach like uh especially like kids like a lot I feel within game theory but then also um within history I mean you know you have to like understand the context that you're playing within yeah so so yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting because yeah I think about like I know I had like a strange childhood just in the sense that my dad taught me how to play chess when I was like four. Like he's just like, you need to learn this. I remember yeah. the hor- I remember the knight or the horse. So like that You're shit used to piss me off. You're damn right. Yeah, but because uh, it was just like one, two, uh, like yeah, yeah. But yeah, I got that down like eventually when I was four. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, just quick. in the game aspect. But yeah. Um, but yeah, did you want to talk about t- the Tucker? Oh, the Tucker Putin interview. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Like, how, how much time do, are we at right now? We're at one hundred and five. We're at one hundred and five. Yeah. We'll do another fifteen minutes just talking about this. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, like you and I watched together. I had a pretty uh, forgiving opinion of Tucker when I first watched it. Strictly because, like, I haven't, like, listened to, like, that many interviews that Putin has, uh, or, like, speeches that Putin has given. Mm-hmm. Which, now in retrospect, like, after I've done some sort of, like, revisiting, he said many different times before. Um, and he was just, like, reiterating it, like, in the Tucker Carlson interview. Um, I liked hearing, like, Putin talk a lot. I do think that, like, it's kind of funny how Tucker was the only journalist brave enough to actually, like, do real journalism. And... Well, it's also because he's independent. Yeah. Now he is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like he can afford you that stuff. But then also, he, like, kind of, like, shit the bed in, like, actually, like, making a very engaging interview. It was mostly just, like, a Putin lecture, yeah. which I enjoyed. Like I like I, I liked listening to like Putin's justification of like this, that, or the other thing. But I can see why he was kind of uh, like dismayed at the quality of the yeah who Putin was. Yeah, Putin was. Yeah, yeah. No, it's what did you think? Um, yeah, I thought the same thing. Or I saw I thought that Tucker just let him talk way too much, and it was like very evident from the beginning that um, 
that like Putin was in control, but it's also like, yeah, you're also in this guy's country, and for lack of a better term, he basically is like at least semi-authoritarian, and like could get you fucked up if you disrespect him type thing. But there is also the like Tucker was out of his not just out of his element, but also just out of his depth in regards yeah. to like knowing enough to to question him. Yeah. Like, or to question him, or just be like, okay, but how about this? Like, when he's giving him the the half-hour history, like, there should be at least a few, like, counterfactuals or, like... Interjections. Maybe, interjections of him, be, of him being able to say, like, okay, but what about, like, these things that happened with, like, Catherine? Or, like, or like you know, Sure, just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. stuff like that, yeah, where it was yeah, like, Tucker, oh, Tucker, oh, like, tell me more, please. Like, it was Tucker, like... Tucker should have been, like, like very aware and, like... Uh, familiar with like Russian history, like before he went like went into that interview, and like Putin made fun of him like a few times like during it, where he's just like, "Oh, is this going to be a talk show or is this going to be like a serious conversation?" Yeah, and like Tucker was like, "Oh, this is going to be a serious conversation," and then Putin was like, "Okay, fine, then shut the fuck up." Yeah, let me and, talk. Like, like, yeah. let me, like let me talk over you. Um, I think that like. As far as the conflict itself goes, um, Ukraine has always been part of, like, rightful Russian clay. And even in the last 30 years or so, since it hasn't been, um, it really rests on the Ukrainian leaders to maintain... A peaceful relationship with Russia and the EU like that is their biggest foreign policy objective is to not piss off Russia because they like you share a border with them you also have like the closest familial ties and like cultural ties to them yeah like but then also people speak that language. exactly yeah but also you know you are a nation born out of like the dissolution of the Soviet Union, so you do need to cooperate with the EU and the West. And, uh, Zelensky has, like, completely failed in that respect. Yeah. He, he, he essentially, like, he essentially told, like, poked the bear and told, like, Russia, what the fuck are you gonna do? And then, Russia went out and did it. And, now it's to, like, no one's advantage, least of all the Ukrainians. Um, but I hate brother wars. I would rather, obviously, like see them rather see them not fighting a war against each other. That would be ideal. But I do, uh, I do sympathize with uh, Russia and its relationship to America, insofar as how like. Putin described it in the interview. Yeah, I it's well, like at least it, as that aspect goes, I do think that the US didn't do its best due diligence in the 90s, but by the time like Putin was around and that's where I think like as we were watching it, I was giving like vocal feedback in regards to him like the way even though he was I think trying to be charitable, it's just by the time it was 
the early 2000s and Bush was in, like him trying to say like, oh, let's like unite and do this stuff together. It was just like, that wasn't even on the table anymore. Or like, yeah, it was, well, it wasn't. Yeah, so Absolutely. it was just, but yeah, so no, it is, it was, I, I think one of the funniest parts too is like, yeah, like, I don't know, what is America doing? Like when he asked him like, oh, like, what do you think of like America? Yeah, politics? yeah, like, yeah, like what, like what is your guys' like foreign policy aims? Or like, what, what are your ambitions or objectives? And then Putin's like, how the fuck should I know? Like, you guys are like a complete fucking, like, opaque, like, looking glass. Who knows what you, like, what yeah. you mean? But I, knew, but I knew before going into the interview is it's, um, what was his name? Was it like John Johnson or something like that? There's this uh, heavyweight fighter in, like, the early 20th century. Joe Johnson. Yeah, Joe Johnson, yeah. So yeah. where he went over there, and I remember, like, there's this, like, famous quote of him just being, like, greeted in the streets, and, like, everyone being nice to him, and he's like, yeah, I don't think, like, racism is a problem in Russia, type thing. It's just like, yeah, like, of course, you're basically under, like, at the end of the czarist regime going into, like, Lenin, and it's like, yeah, of course they're gonna kiss your ass because it looks good as well, propaganda. Well, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all theatrical. Yeah, it's theatrical, yeah. They're, t- they're I'm telling... I'm pretty sure, dude, I'm pretty sure Joe Johnson was the one also who uh, blinded Teddy Roosevelt. What do you mean blinded? Like, hit him? Yeah, like, dude, so when Teddy Roosevelt would have, like, honored guests, like, into the White House, Mm -hmm. uh, like, if they were, like, athletes, he would want to, like, box them. Deadass. Yeah. Deadass. Like, in his, like, 40s and shit. Like, that's, he would he would close the doors of, like, of, of, like, the Oval Office and just be like, let's go. Yeah. Like, put him up. And, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Joe Johnson who was, like, you know, tried to refuse and was like, Mr. President, like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to hit you. I, like, I want to, like, fight you right now. And he was just like, come on, like, don't be stupid. And Joe Johnson... Rocked, yeah. Teddy to the point where right. he was heavyweight champ, bro. He was, dude. He was a, he was mean. He was mean. And uh, Teddy Roosevelt, after that like altercation, had like vision uh, like yeah, like a permanent like uh, like visual deficit in his like right eye that he like never admitted to. That like people would like kind of notice like offhand. Mm-hmm. It'd be like oh like why like why didn't you see that or like oh like why isn't he you know as uh, like sharp as he like used to be, but that happened, and like Teddy Roosevelt made him promise that he would never tell anyone because he knew how much fucking trouble he would have gotten into, not only with obviously like his administration or whatever, but also like his family and his like wife. It's like why the fuck are you fighting like prize fighters like in the Oval Office? Yeah, like are you fucking crazy? Yeah, it's pretty reckless. But yeah, but no, yeah, like there's a. Uh, there's like I think with like Russia there was a lot of really like points throughout the 20th like uh, 20th century um that we could have been uh friendly or like allies with them and for as kind of like for seemingly no reason but like as Putin kind of like talked about like well it like the decision is made by like made by your agencies it's not really by your president. And he's completely right. You know, like, I think ideally, 
it would make the most sense for us to be, uh, like, to grow into, like, an alliance or, like, a mutual understanding with Russia and have them as our ally. Um, but, like, that's just impossible because of, uh, different, like, military interests, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just military interests because it, there is the also, like, you just go back to, like, the 70s and 80s where it was, like, there is a strong sense of, like, um, an ethos within this country that just saw them or s still sees them and can never really get it out of their heads as them being, like, the big bad. Yeah, but, like, but like they lost. Like, that's the thing. It's just, like, yeah, like, you're right. In the 70s and 80s, like, yeah, they were the fucking evil empire. Absolutely. But, like, when we talk about, like, the 90s and, like, the Soviet Union falling apart, like, that was us winning. Like, we beat them. And, yeah, like, it wasn't in, like, uh, like, direct display of, like, military prowess or anything, like, or, uh, direct action. But it was, uh, nonetheless, a victory. Yeah. Because that, they couldn't, they couldn't retain But that's where it's state. also, like, one of those things that's, at least from what I know, is not really, like, similar to any other, like, conflict in history. Where it's usually, it's like, when you beat your enemy, it's like... You're there on their front door, and then it's just like, okay, capitulate, and these are the terms, and then now follow this. Versus with them, it was like, what, they're 15,000 miles away from us, and like, we didn't have any troops on the ground. So it's like, so it wasn't in that like conventional aspect of like, oh, you were defeated. It's like, yeah, so like, yes, it's like the, they lost, like, but they weren't necessarily like, we didn't defeat them in the traditional sense of like we are there now and we have control. yeah but like that was the, like that was the fault of or like primarily the influence of like military uh like leadership where and this is like the like the really big thing that uh putin didn't mention in the interview but it's like still very um like significant is that uh jeffrey Sachs he wrote a uh, article about, he was the main economic advisor to Poland after the dis, like dissolution of the Soviet Union, and hit like he was basically able to bargain with the Western powers a deal, um, which basically entailed economic aid for democratic liberalization. Poland was willing to model itself after the, like, administration uh, in the government, loosely, of the United States for money so that they didn't, like, bottom out. And there was a deal underway, a very similar deal with the Soviet Union that was just passed up on. As Putin said, like, after the Soviet Union collapsed, like... They thought it was like a, the beginning of a new era. They thought that, okay, well now we don't necessarily need to be adversaries with the United States because as long as we, you know, beg basically on like hand and foot and wait on them, like we can be incorporated into the like modern coalition 
but that offer was never permitted, even though it was drawn up, even though like it was like a possibility. And now we get with the Ukraine. It's, that's another really big thing I think too that like Putin talked about a lot in the in the interview was 2014. Yeah. That a lot of people like really yeah, aren't familiar with. Stuff. Yeah. With the with the coup, and it's almost like ridiculous and embarrassing to like imply it was anything other than a like CIA U.S. sanctioned coup. Well, the reason why it's so easy for people to not believe that is because it's everything that was written at the time and even like like um, the news anchors and like footage and stuff from that time has all been taken down and the only yeah. way you can find it is if you go to something like the internet archive and mm-hmm. then like put it and have and know like what the article was or like find some really esoteric places yeah. that will like link you and show you like no this is something that was being talked about consistently where we had like Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State flying over there and like playing yeah, these John games. Yeah, Victoria Newland. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and, like, and Yellen? What's her? Yeah, or, uh, Yeltsin. Yeltsin. No, not, not not the not the not the president. Russian. President. No, okay. I'm not talking about Yellen, like Secretary of something Yellen. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that like uh Especially, it's kind of, like, hard for people to follow in the modern age, especially with something like Ukraine. But that was also uh, literally the exact, like, the exact same playbook in the Arab Spring. You remember the Arab Spring, right? So uh, like, the early 2010s, yeah. when, like, Libya, like, uh, fuck, I might be, like, it was definitely Libya um, and, like, a couple other, like, North African nations or, like, uh, Muslim nations basically had these like series of revolutions and when you talk about like the CIA like instigating this stuff a lot of people have this uh, like preformed assumption that this, like if the CIA is involved that means that there's uh, there's agents on the ground who are like influencing you know significant actors or like important people to make certain decisions that's not how the like CIA works anymore at all uh like in the case of the Ukraine yeah all you have to do like, is there like was, all you have to do is fund all you have to do is like just help them media. with i mean there's media but also it's just if you have someone who has a position that you like and all they need is just some money so that they can gain some traction well like like yeah, like yeah, yeah. Money, money and support is like obviously like the most important thing. But like insofar as like how it relates to like on the ground, yeah. What the CIA has been able to do like over the past like few decades is understand the importance of mass media and how it influences like a large like populace and what the CIA essentially does is create uh, NGOs, non-government organizations, that are completely funded by the government. The biggest one, like, with the Ukraine is the National Endowment of Democracy. The National Endowment of Democracy is literally a, uh, or is rather ostensibly 
a private organization that promotes democracy within foreign nations. However, it is completely funded by the U.S. government, and all of its policy objectives also align completely with the, like, reigning U.S. government. Yeah. And what the National Endowment of Democracy will, like, do, and what they do specifically within Ukraine, is fund certain um, enterprises and, like, volunteer groups, like the, like, tech camps, um, that are largely responsible for, uh, like, influencing media within the country that they're in. You know, and that, like, that is such a big factor in, if you're gonna, like, try to, like, make any sort of, co- like, color revolution, is just influencing the white populace to think that, like, the aims that they're trying to achieve are their own and not yeah. yours. Yeah, not right? foreign, foreign Exactly. Entities, yeah. You know, and they're very sneaky about it. Like, they're able to, like, successfully do it. Um, and that's, like, what Putin was, like, complaining about was, like, after 2014, you basically just get this uh, coup, like, this revolution, and the person who ends up as the prime minister or the president or whatever of Ukraine is now completely beholden to the U.S. of A. Yeah, U.S. interest. It's like, how do you explain that? You know? Um, but this isn't a zigger podcast. Um, Glad you made uh, that clear. Uh, Russia will fold under the weight of democracy and freedom. And, Bro, you know, the word Slava, Slava Ukraini. And, uh, this is the, uh, this is Eric and Elzar. Yeah. Signing off. Yeah. What do you got to say? We was. We, yeah, we fucking was. We bro. was. We was. We was. Give me that 